Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. All right. Hi, girls. How are we doing today? Great. Oh gosh, hi. Yay. This is so fun. This is so fun. I'm so excited, you guys, today to, to introduce my amazing former client and really good friend, Lauren. She lives down in Charleston, and we actually got to meet in real life because I was down there for a conference. So we went to dinner, which was so fun when she was, I think, I think you were my very first client I got to meet in the flesh. So that was so fun. And she's got two little kiddos, aged four and seven. She's a journalist, and she's awesome, and she's been a total and complete pleasure to get to know. So she is going to share her story with us today, and it's such a great perspective from you, babe, because you're really mulling over, I think, something that so many people, women, clients, think about and that is like, is this whole alcohol-free thing a forever choice? Like, is this something I want to do forever? And so, yeah, with that said, like, just tell us how you came to start this whole journey. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I want to say off the top that I think that y'all are doing such good work. And I know that like putting a podcast out every week is a lot of work and, but it's important stuff that y'all are doing. And I think I've listened to every episode. <laughs> and oh, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So my story is, you know, there's a long version and a short version, but basically it was, I drank for 20 years. It's, there's nothing super remarkable about it. There's no DUI. There's no rock bottom. There's no liver disease. Of course, you know, I'm lucky that none of those things happened, but I started drinking when I was 18. I didn't drink in high school. I didn't even drink my freshman year of college, actually. And I think, you know, I was the oldest of three. I was definitely a rule follower. My parents set, you know, a firm expectation that we weren't allowed to drink as teenagers, and I followed those rules. Yeah, and and so after my freshman year, I started drinking, and I remember that first night vividly. It was only, I drank three hard ciders, which seems so innocent now. And I've been thinking a lot about this over the past eight months or so, and I think something that I'd been telling myself for years was that if I could only get back to social drinking, like strictly social drinking, that that would sort of solve the problem that I, that I perceived that I developed with alcohol. But honestly, like from the start, and this is something that I didn't even put together until recently, from the start, from that very first night with those three hard ciders, I was drinking in part because I was going through a breakup. And so, you know, I think about like these neural pathways that are dug so deep in our brains. And it's like from the get go, I was using alcohol in part to cope with big feelings. And that definitely became a theme for me at the end. So y'all talked a lot about sort of the stories we tell ourselves. And I have a book back here, Joan Didion. She she has a collection of the stories we 
tell ourselves in order to live. And yeah, it, it, it was a story that I told myself that, that my drinking started out very innocently, strictly socially. And that wasn't the whole story, actually. But honestly, over the next 20 years, you know, most of the time I, di- I didn't really feel like my drinking was any different than anyone else around me. This is something that other guests of y'all have said. And, you know, I've moved a lot. I, like you said, Christy, I'm a journalist. I've worked in newsrooms for my, my entire career. Newsrooms are stressful environments. I mean, it's not like, they're not like emergency rooms, but they're stressful. Right. And, um, I think I was absorbing that stress and, and trying to relieve it at home at night. You know, parenting adds another level of stress. The pandemic added another level of stress. And my dad got sick. He was diagnosed with cancer in 2016. And it was stage four melanoma, which is really serious. And my sister, I have two younger sisters, one's an oncologist. And so we knew that stage four melanoma was really, really serious. We, we thought he had maybe a year to live. He ended up living five years, but it was the summer of 2020 that we found out it spread to his brain. He got on another round of drugs that worked for about a year. And in the fall of 2021, we found out that he that those drugs weren't working anymore and he was recommended for hospice. He ended up dying on Christmas Eve 2021. And I will say that the six months following that, I started, maybe not even started, but I was relying on alcohol. I was a, I was definitely emotionally dependent on it. I don't think I was ever physically addicted but I was definitely emotionally addicted and used it 100% as a coping mechanism for my grief. He was, he was, he got the the last week of his life was, was traumatic. I mean, there's no other way to say it. He was at home on hospice in a hospice bed in my mom's living room. And me and my mom and my sisters just drank a lot that week. And yeah, so, so it's interesting because we're coming up on May and Memorial Day, and I really feel like May of last year was when I was sort of at my worst and when it became like the darkest for me. I The anxiety that I would experience during a hangover, even two or three days later, was just crippling. I can't... It was awful, and I... I knew that I couldn't live with that kind of anxiety forever. And that just led me to a really dark place. And I talked to my therapist about it. And I have a psychiatrist who was prescribing me some, you know, anxiety meds. And like, we adjusted the meds. Like I knew it was the alcohol, but it was like, it was like, let's try changing the dosage of my meds. Maybe that'll help. Right. It was like such denial. After Memorial Day, I, I think I took like, 10 or 12 days off. And that's when I found Christy on Instagram and started following her, went to a dinner party, decided that I was going to have two glasses of wine, ended up having four, sort of took that as evidence that I could not moderate, that it was a lost cause, proceeded to drink heavily throughout the summer. We traveled a ton. And August 1st knew that I wanted to take another break and instead of just sort of 
freestyling or whatever, I signed up and I don't even know how I found it, but I signed up for Annie Grace's 30 day online alcohol experiment and was really blown away by the information that was presented in that course. And I I think it was within the first week or 10 days, but there was a video that she had presented about like chemically what it's doing in your brain. And it, it all made perfect sense. And there was also such relief from, from stopping drinking and physically I was, and so anyway, I think within week three, I was talking to you on the phone for the first time. And, you know, I'd started that 30 day experiment fully intending to drink again, you know, on September 1st, but about halfway. I remember that. I I remember you saying that, like, this is not, I'm just taking you know, I don't remember what you said, like six months off or something, but I'm going to drink again. I was like, okay, totally. Let's yeah, talk about it. <laughs> I, cause I had my birthday coming up in, in October and then Christmas, you know, I just couldn't even imagine what those things would be like without alcohol. But I signed up for your course thinking like, it'll still be beneficial. Even if I drink during those times, which I think I'm pro- I probably will, um, to do this. I knew that I, was sort of, I was very curious, like that 30 day course really just made me curious. And, and I, and I just felt physically so much better. You know, a lot of people experience these waves of euphoria and I, that, that was definitely true for me. My body was just so relieved not to be drinking several nights a week. And, and I, and I wasn't drinking every day, but anyway, yeah, I was, I was drinking most days, I would say, you know, maybe four or five nights out of the week. Yeah, it just, I, (laughs) August 1st was when I stopped drinking and it really launched this, honestly, this like total, I'm going to turn 40 this year, this total midlife, I call it my unraveling because I'm just like so curious and questioning and honestly, just like hopeful in a way that I have not been in years, you know, and it just feels so good. And I thought that life without alcohol was just going to be so dull and I was so wrong and I feel lighter. I feel, I feel free. I think, you know, y'all talk about the spectrum, how I think on August 1st, August 1st, I was alcohol free. And if like the destination is free, free from alcohol. Like, like I'm somewhere in that messy part. Like I'm, I have, I do not have everything figured out. My life is not 100% happy. I am 100% happier not drinking. Like I can say that definitively, but yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm just like in this questioning phase. I have always loved being a student. I love the idea of beginner's mind. I, yeah, I just, I just feel so much better. I feel such relief. I feel such relief because I was I had prayed for years about this and I just, you know, you know, I, I think back, you know, that time period after my dad died, even the day he died. And I just wish I could go back and like give myself a hug. You know, I look back at pictures of myself and I'm like, oh gosh, I can just, I can just see like the sadness in my eyes, but it's okay. It's going to be, it, it, I'm going to be okay now. And I just, I'm so, so grateful for this journey. I just had no idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've just been blown away by it and it, it, I just feel so much lighter and such a sense of relief. It's really been, it's been incredible. And Christy, you've been a huge part of it. I mean, I knew that 
you know, Annie Grace's course, I recommend that to anybody, provides a ton of structure and information during that first 30 days. But I knew that even after a month off, it was all too new for me to just figure it out on my own. And, and I have been part of, you know, Christie's group since I guess September. And they really provide like the structure and the support that I've needed along the way and the accountability too. So that's kind of where I am. Like, I I don't think I'm, you know, I think like maybe the concept of it, of a final destination is like, maybe it doesn't exist, but yeah, I've, I've come a long way and I'm just thrilled. <laughs> so the funny thing is I, I journal a ton. Christy knows this. I journal a ton. I've just filled up so many journals. And when I first started this journey, I said, I am going to be sober. I don't know how long I'm going to be sober, but I don't want to think about it. And I don't want to talk about it. And the, the funny thing is, as time goes on, I think about it less, but I'm much more comfortable talking about it, you know? So I think there was a fear of failure at the beginning. I just wanted it to be a non-issue because I, I really do not care about other people's opinion of me in almost any area of my life. I'm actually sort of known as like a really sort of direct, frank person, sometimes even to a fault. For some reason, this sobriety thing was really was really worried about what other people would think. And I, and I don't care about that anymore. And it, the, I don't think this is irony, but like, as time goes on, people, it's an, it's a, it is a non-issue now because people are just used to me coming to dinner parties or wherever and not drinking. It's not really a topic of conversation anymore, but yeah. So here I am on the pod. (laughs) Oh, I love that so much. And I remember when I asked you like, several months ago to come on the pod and you were like, I don't know if I'm ready. And I'm like, you are so ready girlfriend because, because you are going to do what you just did, which was open up and be totally honest about the fact that you are still figuring it out. And that is a hundred percent. Okay. So Lauren recently had, for those of you that don't know, and I know me calls them data points, growth points, whatever. So we have a, a group chat for Lauren's group and she put in, you know, put in this message about potentially wanting to try a drink. And like granted, I've known Lauren's story. I've been working with her for, you know, a long time now. And so I said to Lauren, I was like, why don't you go ahead and try it? Because I knew what she was thinking and I knew where she was on her journey. And so tell us what happened. Okay, so basically... I had been in Boston for a work conference and it was a great conference. It was like super, it it had my like creative juices flowing. It was a very long day. And at the end of that day, I was meeting two old friends for dinner and we were eating at a nice restaurant at the bottom of our hotel. And anyway, I had been with both of these people at different points throughout this sobriety journey. So both of them were used to me. It's not like I had to launch into my story again, right? Like they were expecting me not to drink, but I was, and I didn't drink that night, but I was thinking that I could have, and it would have been totally fine. And then it might've even been nice. And so I like posed this question to our group. I said, is it even possible to be 
free from alcohol and occasionally have a glass of wine. I said, because I was having these thoughts the other night at dinner and I didn't drink, but I'm skeptical, like if that's even a possibility. So Christy said, why don't you try? And I was like, oh gosh, well, maybe. I had been really almost at this point, I was almost, I think I was almost eight months without alcohol at that point. I'm losing count, which is a good thing because I was really hyper-focused on days, which I think was helpful for me at the beginning of my journey. But this accumulation of days and months almost felt like, and I was telling Christy this yesterday, like it almost felt like this burden and I was scared of what was going to happen when I dropped it. And Christy giving, Christy giving me permission to, you know, conduct my own experiment was like her saying like, you don't have to carry that. Like you can set that down and still keep traveling. So basically what I did was a few weeks after that, I, I, I had three glasses of wine and I tried to conduct it as like scientifically as possible. So I knew I didn't want to drink at home because anyway, we were visiting my aunt and uncle and yeah, I took notes on my notes app as it was happening. And, you know, it took notes in the days and weeks to come, not days and weeks, but the days to come and was really just curious about sort of what it felt like and if it, I enjoyed it and it was fine. It was fine. The answer is yes. You can totally have a glass of wine and still be free from alcohol. The thing is, you're, at least for me, I didn't really, you're not going to, it doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it. Like, I, I think I said this on a group call, but I would like rank the experience of drinking wine, like somewhere between neutral and unpleasant. Like it wasn't, I had three glasses of wine, so I wasn't like drunk. There was no real hangover to speak of, although there were like subtle physical things. But sometimes like I just wake up dehydrated and sort of feel like, you know, but yeah, like I, as I was drinking, so in, 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 and this is what struck me, like, this is supposed to be the fun part, like, right? Like with the dopamine part, when you're actually drinking, like that's, if there is any benefit, that's the benefit, right? But even when that was happening, like there were unpleasant physical symptoms that were happening. Like my face got really flushed and I could feel my pulse in a way that wasn't pleasant. And I, when I got, when I ate dinner, I felt overly full and no, I felt like my, I felt like my thoughts were racing a little bit. I talk, I felt like I talked too much. I felt like maybe I was talking too loudly. And and again, all this is all this was happening as the dope the fun dopamine part is supposed to be happening. So it's like, yeah, there was that, you know, feeling of relaxation, that sort of dopamine hit. But there was also all this other stuff too. And then I was laying in bed. I I I'd had three glasses and I decided that was enough. And I knew if I stayed up, I was going to want to keep drinking. So I just put myself to bed and I was typing in my notes app, lying in bed. And like my thoughts definitely like became more anxious and, and darker, just lying there. Like I'm trying to pull up what I wrote. Now this is me writing in bed just after I've had these drinks. I said, I feel guilty. I feel nervous. I hope I haven't ruined everything. I feel like my thoughts are really confused right now. 
I'm back at square one. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's, that wasn't true. That, you know, that didn't turn out to be true. I wasn't back at square one. I woke up the next day and, and I had, I didn't sleep great, but it wasn't like horrific sleep. I'm not a great sleeper anyway, unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, it was an interesting experiment. I got some data out of it. it I don't have, it answered some questions, but I don't feel like the urge to repeat it. One thing that I love about it is that it did like take this pressure of forever off. Like I can do that if I want to, I can just make a choice. Like I don't have to, the question of whether or not I'm going to keep doing this forever to me is like, not like a super interesting question because it doesn't matter. Like I can, we have this, we have a couple trips coming up this summer and it's like, you know, and I have done trips without alcohol. I've, I've done a lot with that. I've done birthdays and Christmases and I did the anniversary of my dad's death and all this stuff without alcohol. For some reason, these like summer trips are like still, so I, I'm really good at future tripping. For me, it's very easy to say no in the moment, like no cravings in the moment, but like, like it's much harder to say no thinking ahead to the far future. But anyway, but like that, that experiment sort of showed me that like, you know, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like if you want to have a glass of wine, have one, there will be consequences and you probably won't enjoy it that much, but like, who cares? Like you're, you're not going to undo all of this work. And it, and it felt like before I did that, I was sort of scared that like, well, it was very black and white thinking you know, it was, it was, you're either sober or you're not. And I am, you know, I'm still on this journey, even though I had three glasses of wine last month and I don't feel guilty about it. And I, you know, didn't really enjoy it. And, you know, if I had to put money on it, I would say I probably will drink at some point in my life, you know, again, but like, that doesn't scare me. And I don't think I don't, I, I, I have set one thing that Annie Grace did in that 30 day alcohol experiment. Cause she doesn't, I think she really has tailored it to people who probably are going to start drinking again. And while that wasn't me, she had, she had the participants like set some strict parameters. And for me, I think those parameters have become even stricter. If I ever were to, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to drink at home. I I really don't, I'm never going to drink in front of my children. I'm so grateful to have stopped drinking when they're little. I have learned so much from the moms in our group just about regret around that, you know, I'm just so thankful that I'm doing this now. Anyway, there's, I I think also I've just learned too much. I think I've learned too much to enjoy it anymore. I I don't joke with Christy the other day that she's ruined wine for me, but like, (laughs) sorry, sorry, not sorry. (laughs) It's like, maybe, maybe it's just not possible for me to enjoy it right now. And I'm okay with that. Like I am, I'm I'm okay with that. Like the way that like I'll experience waves of like joy right now and calm and they're subtle, right? But I never would have picked up on 
those feelings before because I was either drunk or hungover most of the time. And like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but even at the dentist the other day, I was getting like, like some, a cavity filled and like the Novocaine shot was making me feel like a little bit like buzzed. I was like, I never would have (laughs) yanked up on that before, you know, it's like, it was just an injection. And I was like, I feel a little, you know, it's subtle, right? It just, my body is just like reset. Um, Christine, I've talked about this. Like I did, I never used to recognize PMS symptoms. Like I actually have pretty like significant PMS symptoms. And I just never recognized them before because they were subtler than, you know, the immediate or long-term effects of alcohol were having on my body. So, so yeah. So I think the answer to my question that I posed to the group is that, yes, you can have a glass of wine and still be free from alcohol, but you may not enjoy it. So that's kind of where I am. Yeah. Lauren, I am just, I love your story so much. I'm so grateful that you were willing to come and share it with us and all of it and just show up. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm in all of our guests always when they can come and show up and just share themselves like real, true, authentically the way you have so beautifully. And I think what I love the theme of what I would, I mean, there's so much, but what I would, what I keep coming back to is that choice like freedom comes from choosing, consciously choosing what what we want for our lives, how we want to show up, how we want to feel, what you know, what we want to do. It comes from that choice. And when I was stuck in the drinking cycle with all the stories telling me all the things and not noticing PMS symptoms and not being attuned to, you know, even knowing when joy was coming, is if it was coming, not paying attention to any of those things because of how alcohol just kind of whether you're recovering from it, thinking about it, drinking it, whatever it is, everything is just duller. But, you know, there were so many times where I was drinking and it's like, I wasn't even, I didn't even want to be drinking. I wasn't consciously choosing it. Of course I was choosing it. Right. But I wasn't consciously choosing it. And that's what created so much conflict and so much tension and so much stress for me. It was like, it was happening to me. I didn't have control. It was you know, directing my life for me. And I think what you have highlighted so beautifully in your data point slash growth point is that you can choose forever. You know, this is a circular journey that we're on all of us in life. It's not linear. There's no destination. We don't get to the end of our freedom from alcohol story or our story, our bigger story. We don't get to the end and go, okay, like now I'm here. It's, it's just this ongoing process of, you know, waking up to our lives and choosing, consciously choosing things. And I think that's what, I think that's what you have highlighted that I think is so beautiful because we don't, who says we have to say like, it's forever. Like, what does that even mean? What does, I mean, what does that even mean? So, so thank you for, for sharing. Yeah. I mean, my goal definitely like, you know, like Annie talks about and y'all talk about, it's like, you know, small and insignificant. Like I, I, I journaled about this one one day, several months ago, like I want it to be as small and insignificant for me as like drinking a diet Coke. Sometimes I drink a diet Coke, but like if, if, if it became a problem, like if it became a problem for me, like I could say no to diet Coke. Like if diet Coke was like wrecking havoc on my life, like I could walk away from it. Right. So yeah, I want it to be sort of like that. Like, like the idea of not 
drinking Diet Coke forever doesn't scare me, you know? And yeah. So anyway, it's, it was like, you know, it was the problem and the solution for so much of my life. And that was like a tangled knot to untangle. And I, you know, I think I started to untangle it in those 30 days, but I really needed more time and getting through, you know, the holidays, I felt so proud of myself in January. Like that was huge. I just, you know, could not have fathomed doing that before. One thing I did learn is that the holidays are hard whether you're drinking or not. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So true. So true. Oh, that's well, me line. I'm so yeah. good. <laughs> So true. But it will, but, and you're right. It's like the experiential knowledge. We can learn all this stuff. I love how you talked about in the alcohol experiment that you were like, oh my gosh, like understanding how this affects our, how alcohol affects our brain and the chemical changes that are happening and understanding all that so valuable in this journey. Like, I mean, it blew my mind. It really Um, did. It blew mine too. And that helps rewire, you know, these neural pathways that have us believing that it's this just, benign substance that is, you know, the elixir of life or whatever, like it helps rewire in that way. But what helps rewire and create these new neural pathways that allow us to step into continual choice and, you know, for, for ourselves and what we're, what we're doing is the experience, experiential knowledge that we gain along the way. It's going through the holidays and and thinking about like, what is, what is an alcohol-free holiday? Like, I don't know, but you know what? I'm going to find out. And this is what's, what I've learned is that holidays are hard, period. Okay. I was so sure that, you know, they were going to be hard without alcohol. Well, no, they're just hard in general. They were made easier by the fact that I wasn't dealing with the anxiety that came on, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. Or with your growth point, it's that experiential knowledge to be like, oh, it's really not as because of these other physical symptoms that I'm experiencing that I didn't, I wasn't noticing before. Maybe it's not as great as I thought it was. It's also not, it doesn't give you as much of a buzz as I think I'd like built up in my head. Like, yes, it's not, it's not, it's just not that profound. <laughs> it's not, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, it's clouded by all the store. It's like we, create these stories about it. We give it this little, I mean, your story goes back to like, you gave it this tiny opening, alcohol gave it this tiny opening in your life. And then looking back, you can see also where that was part of that, you know, suppressing some feelings or getting through a hard time and, and then how that just kind of grows from there. And then all of these stories start building and creating and then tangling together. And then it's just true. And we're not questioning and, and they're unconsciously running you know, choosing what we're doing for us and we're not choosing that anymore. And so the, I love what you were saying about how you're just, you're curious and you're questioning and you're wondering and you're thinking about it and you're paying attention to physical sense, you're paying attention to your body. What does your body need? Like if we could all just have one question every single day, it's like, what does my body need today? I, can- one thing, profound lesson that I've learned is that exercise is for my brain. It's not for my body. Like I have never been like a super athletic person, but now I'm moving four days a week at least because I just crave it mentally. I was just, 
I was just like poisoning myself. I really was. And I, it just feels, I feel so much relief to be in control and it's exciting, you know, to be headed in this direction for sure. So Lauren, one of the things that you, we had talked about too, is that you realize that you could potentially like alter the dosage or, you know, of your anxiety medications. Can you speak to that a little bit? Totally. So I had been on a bunch of different drugs, not a bunch, but several. In college, I was on Lexapro for a while, which interestingly, like I like experienced this depressive episode in college almost immediately after I started drinking alcohol for the first time in my life. Like, I don't know that that's the sole cause, but those things definitely correlate. In the beginning of the pandemic, I was on Prozac. I got off Prozac. We started Wellbutrin, changed the dosage of Wellbutrin some. And all along, like, especially like, you know, at the start of the pandemic, I knew my anxiety was driven by the alcohol. Like, I just knew it. I was in this cycle where I would sort of drink heavily by that. I would say like, you know, four or five glasses of wine, feel horrible the next day, take the next night off, feel great the day after that, and then start drinking again. So it's like I had, you know, years of evidence that showed that my anxiety was great on the days after I hadn't been drinking but was just desperate for relief in the form of a pill. And yeah, when I stopped drinking the anxiety, like I still have some anxiety, but it's, but it's like a normal amount of anxiety and it doesn't require daily medication. I have a prescription that I can take sort of as needed. I was getting some anxiety attacks like around the time that my dad was really sick where like, you know, my, I don't know if you'll ever experience this, but like my hands and my feet would go numb. I think like the blood or like tingle, like the blood is like, you know, rushing, you know, so I have something that I can take like for acute anxiety, but I maybe take one of those once a month or something, you know, it's, and it's, it's nice. I would wake up every morning and I would take this pill and I would feel guilty every day because I'm like, I know the only reason I'm taking this is because I'm drinking too much and I'm like actively sabotaging myself, you know, like anyway, it's just, I, I, I take an allergy pill sometimes, but honestly, like I'm not. That's so powerful, babe. It's so powerful because the majority of people out there do not know or associate the fact that they are compounding and pouring gasoline all over their stress and anxiety when they drink. I didn't know that either. Like when I read that and, you know, then, you know, as Mead was talking about the experiential knowledge of that, feeling it, you know, you got to feel it and you got, and you can experience the difference and it's so wild. And so when you don't have, when the fact that you've been able to like, you know, step away from that medication on this journey, I think is so incredible. And I may get back on it one day. I'm not like here to say that like, I am like a stress-free person, you know, like I still get irritated at my kids. I still lose my temper. I'm trying to work on it. You know, like it's not because you're human sunshine and rainbows all the time. Yeah. Hashtag because human. And I'm still, (laughs) I still have a therapist that I talk to regularly and yeah, it's, it's not like, my problems just went poof. It's just that like, it's a, it's a manageable level of stress and anxiety now. Well, you get to choose, like you're in a place, you've put yourself in a position to 
with, you know, alcohol being less and less relevant, being smaller and smaller in your life, you've put yourself in a position where you get to consciously choose what resources, what things that support you and how to resource for yourself. That is to me, one of the greatest gifts of this journey is instead of, I mean, I was, I definitely have my experience with anxiety meds over the years and, um, feeling like I need this and I have to do this to, to be a certain, you know, to whatever is different than, huh, what do I need? Okay. This is a resource for me. I can bring that in. That's a, that's an open, you know, more freeing position than, oh my gosh, I need this. And that comes from, you know, do, doing this work. This it, it feels so good to be in control. I did not, you know, I think Annie Grace talks about, I keep talking about Annie Grace, um, in this naked mind, she talks about like the illusion of control and how, you know, we think we're in control. I've mentioned in our group before that I gave up alcohol for Lent one year, you know, like maybe 12 years ago. And I used that, I like held that up as evidence for years that like, I can stop whenever I want to. And it wasn't really true, you know? So, but now I'm truly in control and that feels just so good. I love that. I love that. I love it. I also think too, I and I, I just have to mention this as well because I think that this is something that you know when we talk about and you and you mentioned this, Lauren, that it's you weren't ever maybe physically dependent or addicted to alcohol, but the emotional dependency, you know, the psychological dependency that comes from the stories and and what the perceived benefit that it's going to give us. I also think about like the the grief that you carried and how that coupling that it you know happens. And, you know, it's Gabor Mate says, you know, not why the addiction, but like why the pain that's underneath that. And that's where it's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. So what, well, what I was going to say was that like, when I stopped drinking in August and knew I was going to take a month off, like there is such immediate relief from not consuming wine on a near daily basis, like physically, not ingesting alcohol, has been the easy part of this journey. Doing the work about all that other stuff, like <laughs> like yep. furiously journaling and reading all the books and doing the group support. And, you know, that is the hard work that I didn't, wasn't even anticipating. Like you, acknowledging my grief, you know, that is the hard work. Like physically not drinking for me actually was amazing. I mean, the money that you save alone, the calories you save alone, it's like the psychological work for sure that you have to do. Well, and it's that work that even though we think it's like, who would choose that then? Because that's if someone had told me that then I was going to, you know, be in a place where that work would then come up and I'm going to have to walk through all of this work. Well, first of all, number one, I get to choose if I want to walk through this work, you know, or not. But number two, that grief, all of the, all of that, that hasn't been dealt with. We think that maybe because we're not dealing with it, that it's not doing anything, but oh my gosh, the energy it takes trying to keep pushing that beach ball under the water and keeping it down. It's having a profound effect on us where it's just, we're essentially like by continuing to drink and not 
deal with it, not look at it, not turn over that rock and like, oh, what's under there? We're just like kicking the can down the down the road. And the freedom, I think, which is why I say a lot, like I'm not sober, I'm free. Like it comes from stepping into being able to do that work from a place of health and transformation, you know, with the Lord guiding me and, and the support, I mean, all of that. And that's, that's why it becomes, you know, we don't have to do that work. I say for me, it's something that we get to do. And wow, that's why freedom from alcohol is so much greater than just not drinking. Yeah. It's really like, you know, I feel like my life's work, you know, and I don't know that I have any like big, huge answers but I write a lot about it. And what if we don't need answers? Yeah. Right? Like, what if it's just getting it out, you know? And like, yeah, acknowledging our suffering, acknowledging our grief as what it is. It's so easy for us to, I think, push through that because people have bigger problems and, you know, my life, you know, all those stories that we believe, but I'm just, I'm just so glad that that's part of what you're experiencing in this kind of freedom space. That any of us can ask ourselves is, what we truly want, like what our deepest desires are. And, and I think like the best answer I've come up with is like eternal life in heaven, but like short of that, like, you know, and and that's kind of like what not drinking has allowed me to like think about and process. Like, what do I really want? Like, Uh, I I don't know. Yeah. Who knew we could ask that question? Yeah. I had no, I had no bandwidth for that question before. Yes. Yeah. I think what do I need and what do I want? And those two questions were things that number one, I didn't know I was allowed to ask. Number two, I didn't know I wasn't asking. And yeah. And I didn't know there was a difference between the two before, but now it's what do I want? Oh my gosh. You're, you're speaking my language. This is where I can, Dr. Kurt Thompson's work comes in loud and clear in this place for me. Yeah. What do you want? And what are our desires and what are, where are our griefs? What are we, the more that we can look at those, gosh. Yeah. Well, so ladies, good. it's about that time. Our favorite time. Already? Time for, I know, I'm sorry. I have time so many notes. Our t- our t- I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> for tiny Tina. I was ready right. for this. What is, because I'm, I'm your number your... one biggest fan. I was ready for this. Okay, so. <laughs> Tiny new action. Another note that I keep on my notes app is my toolkit because this was something that Holly oh, Whitaker. Oh, I love a toolkit. Yeah. Holly Whitaker said that, and I read this book. I actually interviewed Holly for an article a couple years ago. Oh. Anyway, she talks about this toolkit that you should do when you're going through sobriety. And so I have this like running list, but my best tool for me, actually, this is in doing that work that we just talked about, something that I have uncovered about myself with the help of my therapist is that I am what you might call a highly sensitive person and that manifests itself in different ways. But one of the things I have discovered is that loud noises inside, I am particularly sensitive to. And I have two little kids, so there's a lot of loud noises in my house. And I think I was partially using wine in the late afternoon and evening to desensitize myself. So my, my therapist suggested noise canceling headphones. Now I got the really good ones because I'm saving so much money by not buying wine. I can still hear my kids. I can still hear my husband, but they're just (laughs) so much quieter. 
I had tried different things. I tried, you know, playing classical music in the living room that honestly just contributed to the noise level. I had tried, I can't, anyway, this is a solution for everybody because they can play, they can talk and everyone is just a little bit quieter. And for some reason, my nerves feel, it just all feels less raw, you know? It mimics. I love that you discovered that. Oh, I love that. That was actually like a pretty, I think I bought them in, I bought them in January, right before my six month. So it was like pretty far into my journey, but yeah, they're amazing. And it, the joke is now that I just walk around the house with my headphones on like almost all the time. <laughs> Love it. Well, and also it highlights too something that, you know, the toolkit idea, this is something that I work with clients. I mean, I think this is so much of what, what we do is it's like in the resourcing for yourself, it's, you know, there's no prescriptive way to say like, these are the things that you need, but in trying differently, being open when you start this journey and you realize that like, you know, curiosity is a superpower and, and we get to choose what works for us and what doesn't for us. What do you mean? Like I get to choose this that bleeds into being able to, well, let me just try. I don't know. I don't know if this will work. I'm going to try classical music in the living room when the kids are noisy. I'm going to be open to it. I'm going to see what I see. Oh no, that definitely doesn't work. Okay. Take that off the list. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to put on the noise canceling headphones. Oh my gosh, how do I feel? How does this make me feel? Counting days, like that app okay. at the beginning of Counting my journey. Days. That worked yes. for me for a long time until it didn't. And then I deleted the app and and Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I think is so beautiful. One of the many beautiful things about this journey is being able to figure out what those things are for us and to continue, you know, supporting ourselves in that way. Yeah. So tiny Tina for our listeners, the person that's tried the classical music in the living room and it's felt like, yeah, no, this is supposed to help and this is not helping. I think Lauren, <laughs> Lauren has a good idea for you here. Yeah, so. I'm not even, I don't even listen to anything in the headphones. I just have the noise. Oh! Yeah, no. Oh, I love, oh! It's just oh. the noise cancellation activation is Fantastic. on. Fantastic! Yeah. I'm glad you clarified. Because yeah, no, that, it's just quiet. Oh, yeah. okay, see, like, look, I'm like... It. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I totally was really just thinking about it. It's a good trick for sure. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for having well, me. Thank you so Thanks. much, Lauren. I'm so, so, just so in awe of you. And so, I mean, just so proud of you and glad to know you. And I'm just looking forward to years of friendship in the Well, future, if so. anybody out there is listening to this and is on the fence about you know, one of the things before I joined the group was like, you know, it's an investment. And I was like, sobriety is supposed to be free. Why am I paying to be sober? It has made the difference between, it's the difference between failure and success for me. Like, I don't think I would have, I would be right here right now without the support of the group. Like both of you, completely uninterested in AA, nothing against it at all. I just don't think it's for me. And this has been a way to you know, take the journey with other people and learn from more experienced people like y'all. It's helped a lot. Totally Thank worth you, it. Babe. All the money. You can take all my money. Yeah. <laughs> You're the best. It's priceless. So this work much. is priceless. Yeah. It is priceless. All right. Thank, Thanks. Thank you, Lauren. Hi, guys. Such an, such an honor. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.